As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm JJ Bull, and today I am joined by the mysterious Alex Stewart. Hello. I am mysterious. You are. What's the most mysterious thing you've done in the last three days? Obviously, I can't tell you that. Because it's mysterious. Um, Good. This has started weirdly. And then also we're joined by everyone's best friend. He loves you all as we love him. It's Seb Stafford-Lore. Hello, JJ Paul. Hello, Seb. Oh, you seem much happier than last (laughs) week. <laughs> that is I've recovered from illness. levels of chirpiness. No, I've yeah. had a, a nasty bit of bronchitis, but I've recovered. I've still got a cough and I'm still not sleeping well, but I am happy to be on the other end of the illness. Yes. Well, you know what, boys and girls, you are in for a real treat. We've got a chirpy Seb, a mysterious Alex, and there's loads of football to talk about. And uh, we're going to do all of that. We're going to talk about all the, the Arsenals and the um, Liverpools and the Man Cities. And all the other things. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a real treat. And if you like treats, well, what better treat could you get than by going to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO? What do you get, Alex? You get access to unparalleled sports coverage. For how long? I guess as long as you like, really. You, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it depends, doesn't it? Alex has gone for the hard sell here. So what, yeah. you, what happens if you go to this mysterious link uh, Alex is alluding to is that you will get a trial to um, read The Athletic and all the many things on it. Like today, for instance, we're recording this on a Monday, you could have read David Ornstein's column and all about how there's some things happening with Erling Holland possibly going to Manchester City and Paul Pogba isn't going to Manchester City that would have been funny though mm-hmm. what else is happening Seb? Hey so I've been reading uh, Simon Johnson's work on the new Chelsea owner it's been very very interesting yeah it's been gone for a while but Simon's done a super job covering it and read a little bit of Charlie Eccleshare and Jack Pitbrook after Tottenham got their draw at Anfield that's been fun and yeah I mean it's a trial, but it's a trial and name only. You'll you'll trial it, and then you'll just you'll be you'll be doing it full time properly. Not trial, just forever. And You're ever. becoming a member of a club, an exclusive yeah. club where but you do want a, to be a member. A good club, not not one of those bad ones. That, you know, yeah, yeah. Not like the Marx Brothers joke, where you don't want to be part of it. You do want to be part of this club. That's enough of a sell. Okay. Yes, we need to move on. I need to move and say the thing that Joe always says. Joe always says because he's not here again. Um, we're going to leave you now in the 
cool arms and warm arms of Alex Stewart. <laughs> of arms. <laughs> of arms. arms. Arms, of arms. Arms, yeah. of arms, yeah. Liverpool 1 1 Tottenham. It's written here form as expected. Liverpool dominated the ball. Spurs happy to play on the counter attack. What did you think of Spurs' approach to this game, Alex Stewart? Sensible. I think people are predisposed to be annoyed about teams not going for stuff. But Just reference to Villarreal and like <laughs> it's a general <laughs> reference. But I think, as Eric Dyer pointed out in the post match interview, you know, Spurs had a very organised defensive system, as you would expect from a Conte side. And they also had patterns that they had clearly rehearsed that allowed them to counterattack. And if you have Song Hyun Min and Harry Kane up front, then there is always a possibility that you only need one or two counterattacks to, to score. And, and it seems to me like Spurs are in a weird position because they are currently well set up to frustrate bigger teams like this, but obviously they're in this top four race. They have aspirations to be better. They have a world-class manager. And so I can understand why there might be some frustration about this, but let's not, uh, you know, forget that Liverpool are (laughs) exceptionally good. And the frustration is from Liverpool. (laughs) Right. Well, the frustration is partly from Liverpool. Yes. But also I think there's this kind of sense of like, oh, teams should just be, you know, Liverpool and Man City are so much better than everybody else that even the best sides have to play this way. And I thought Spurs executed their game plan really quite effectively. There was a, I can't remember who did it on Twitter, so I'm really sorry if it was you. I think it was a coach or someone with an actual UEFA qualification. You pointed out that the way that Spurs were building from the back, that the, the it was a bit, basically a back five with the wing backs. One of them would push really, the left wing back would push up really high to be next to Alexander Arnold, and the right wing back would, would fall really short. So it became a back four with mm. the right wing back, the right centre back, and the middle centre back, and the left centre back, probably the four. And then that meant that basically Robertson. To keep his position, he was caught between wanting to stay near the rest of the back four to keep position or being dragged out towards where the right wing back, who was Emerson Royale, wasn't mm-hmm. it? So he had that space to cover, which then meant when he did go to that position, they'd be able to get the ball over the top of him into Kulisevsky, who's been so good. So tell me about Kulisevsky. He's been great this season. Yeah, he really has been. And I think a couple of things about him, very, very quick, very, very skillful, very direct. Most important quality I think that he has is the contrast that he poses to uh, Harry Kane and Son Heung-min. Like previously, like before he arrived, Conte was typically playing Lucas Moura as the third of his forwards. And Moura is a good player. He's skillful. He's a goal threat. Doesn't provide that contrast. He's right-footed rather than left. Kulaseski's left-footed. And there isn't a lot of craft in his game. He's a very direct player. Like he's, I wouldn't say he's a head down kind of footballer, but there is an element of the best player in the playground to him because he can beat everybody. And so he doesn't quite, after he's beaten a couple of defenders, he was never quite sure of when the right time to release the ball was, release the pass was. Whereas Kulisevsky very much does. And so whilst also having the ability to go past players, because he's a big guy as well, um, and there's a little bit of devilment to him. He's not, he's a little bit of aggro to his football. He's a, he can be a little bit confrontational, which is nice, but he has this craft and he's a little bit like, I suppose his, his Spurs parallel might be someone like Eric Lamella, 
Um, but he's a kind of a bigger, bulkier, quicker, more direct Eric Lamella, but just with some of those creative abilities too. And I think just the way that he's, he's just a nice foil to that Son Kane thing because he actually does something slightly different and he occupies slightly different areas of the pitch and his, his tendencies on the ball are a little bit different. And he's been great. He's been a little bit of a lull over the last couple of weeks, but that's kind of to be expected from a January signing. But he's been, he's been terrific. What's he? So he's 22 years old and in 15 appearances, including three sub-appearances in the league, he's got eight assists and three goals. So that's, what if you want to call it, 11 goal contributions in 12 starts. That's, I mean, in the Premier League, that's really, really high. Yeah. <laughs> he's sort of, it's not that he's going under the radar because people are, I, mean, I like talking about him and other people have. He's not, he's, he's definitely... Like, he is on the radar, but he's, like, on the outside of it. Like, you know when the aliens are in the, um... You know when they're going through an aliens and they're going through the tunnels, the corridors, mm. and then there's all the aliens coming, and it's like, oh, he's right above us. Kulisevsky mm. is not right above them. He's on the right wing. Another thing about him <laughs> is that it feels like, and I say this without using any data or anecdotes to support the point I'm about to make, is it feels okay, like it's, just an opinion, it's the best kind of best kind of point to make. It's just the one that feels right. Is that it feels like he's helped the progression a little bit of the ball because previously Lucas Moura wasn't someone that could really collect the ball around the halfway line or deep in his own half with any success or sort of move it up the field with any success. Whereas Kulisewski, mm. because he's so strong and because he's so technical and because he's kind of comfortable, he's comfortable just having the ball. He doesn't have that compulsion always to run forwards with it. It feels like when he collects it and that can be in his own half, things can develop around him and then the ball can move. And part of that is obviously in addition to signing him, Spurs bought Rodrigo Bentancourt, who's uh, he's been really great actually. He's been excellent since he arrived, and his ball progression is is fantastic. But Kulisewski's ticks that box too, and that's allowed a few other things to happen in instead of non-attacking areas, which has been very nice. Aside from all the the alien stuff that you were talking about, that I was kind of semi listening to. Yes, no, I was I sort of zoned out while I was saying it. Yeah. Do you know another thing I was thinking about Kulisewski, right? Probably Bentancourt as well as counts for so. The, I mean, I know more for Kulisevsky didn't really quite work from at Juventus, which is obviously top, like fighting for the title. Well, not now, but they, you know they have been in the past. It's a lot of pressure. That's our level club. I'm not trying to disperse, but I sort. I mean, he's going to a, a smaller place. He's going to a smaller level, right? Where suddenly he is now able to play that level and get better. It's almost like a he can turn into the finished article like Harry Kane did at Spurs. Because if you, if you go to... If Kane had gone somewhere like Man United, obviously, because no one ever gets better at Man United, he would have just turned into dust. But Kulisewski now is at the point where he's able to play at a level where you can get into... I don't know, they're fighting for Champions League spots. Does, does this make sense, what I'm saying, right? It's easier at a club with less pressure than he can become the player that could play at a higher level. I feel maybe... So I had a few things about him before you joined. Apparently, he started a little bit with playing alongside Cristiano Ronaldo had a, a difficult time um, as a young guy dealing with the expectation of you know Ronaldo's, Ronaldo's pretty demanding you know when he wants the ball and where he wants the ball and what he wants his teammates to do around him and um, body counts Ben court uh, uh, sorry um, Kulisewski didn't really thrive under those conditions whereas Spurs I think you're immediately one of the better players and so he's not the best player in the team but you're already kind of, you feel secure in your starting place. You're not having to duel with someone like Dybala, 
for instance, for your for your role week to week, there isn't the same level of scrutiny. At Spurs, you can probably get away with chucking in a kind of um, an anonymous performance once every couple of weeks at the moment in that kind of at their current stage because they're they're an okay team. They're getting a bit better. They might finish in the Champions League places. They might not. But it's not a kind of people move on pretty quickly from a bad performance. Whereas at Juventus probably less so. I don't have much experience of what the Juventus fan base is like, but I imagine it's not quite as forgiving. And particularly when you kind of have some um, pretty big personalities in the dressing room to compete with, which he doesn't really, I suppose. So probably this season. I've just thought, we haven't spoken on this podcast about the Champions League final and the teams who got through to that yet, have we? Or am I... We did a live stream about it, though. We did a live stream, which is not the same thing. Yes. It felt sort of the live stream was kind of chaotic if you remember it we were kind of frazzled and it had come at the end of a very very long day and I think I ended up saying that Camavinga wasn't very good and very clearly he was and I humiliated you've made your apology now it's fine I I felt like I needed to apologize for that that was a bad bad take stone cold take well Alex now we've got Liverpool are in the Champions League final and um, this draw doesn't mean they're out of the league title. I think, actually, it's still very, very tight. It's only two points off. If Man City lose a game, then they Three. would climb above them, wouldn't they? Three points. Three points. Oh, yep. well, that's better. Oh, well. I'm all wrong as well. Um, but do you think, I asked this to Seb the other day, do you think Liverpool would prefer to swap winning the league for the, the Champions League, with, you know, if you had the choice? What do you think? Oh, I don't know. I I think it's a really interesting aspect of football, which is obviously really difficult to talk about with any kind of certainty, but it's the, the psychological impact of those two Champions League results on their respective teams. Like Liverpool, you can make an argument for Liverpool going, okay, well, we've got a good chance in the Champions League final and we should focus on that and that's where we should direct our energies and the league title is gone, or it could provide an impetus. We're still competing on all these different fronts. We've still got the possibility of winning, what is it, the quadruple. We should give everything to all of that. Man City could crush them. I mean, we'll talk about them against Newcastle, obviously, but it's the bit that is hardest, I think, for anybody, whether it's a probably a manager or a player, but also certainly pundits, fans, and so on, to get a handle on, like, what are the impacts of these kinds of results? I think if you're Liverpool, there is a thing about the Premier League title. I suspect that's probably why Pep Guardiola referenced it specifically in that post-match interview that he did with BN Sports, which was, I, whatever. But, you know, giving, giving some niggle to that aspect, you know, focusing on the fact that, yeah, okay, Liverpool have won a couple of Champions Leagues in the last 30 years, but they've only won one Premier League title, unlike us. You know, that stokes the pressure a little bit. Klopp might look at that and go, well, you know, we're three points behind, we're on the same number of games. They've got a better goal difference and the Champions League is the thing they can't seem to win, so let's do that instead. You know, it's like, who knows really what goes through any of these people's minds. Well, how about a more TIFO-ish question, which actually suits the podcast, uh, <laughs> rather than generic all football that effort man. into a it was fine, a it was fine. I want to use the things you know well though um, so sort of referencing this Liverpool Spurs game and also the Villarreal semi-final <clears throat> I've read a lot of 
people who have said that maybe Liverpool didn't play very well in the first half against Villarreal it was like mm. for me it's not they didn't play very well it's that Villarreal went at them which is a natural consequence of playing away in a massive semi-final that's just what happens I mean you, you can say you're not, are you not playing well if you're a bit frazzled by a team going straight at you mm. like I, I, I'm trying to work out if that means you're not playing well or how you can play better by just being more confident or like against Spurs here Spurs obviously um, it's written down in these notes even like it's by design that they were forcing them wide to try and cross the ball and they were yeah. trying to force them so they knew where they were able to hit them so yeah. it wasn't that Liverpool weren't playing badly but they were being lured into a trap which well, may or may not have worked yeah a little bit I, I think I think to a degree with this Liverpool performance against Spurs there were some uncharacteristic sloppy passes that you don't tend to see quite so much with Liverpool but yeah like teams you set your side up particularly if you're playing against a stronger team, to not just mitigate their strengths, but also to to try to set the game out on your terms as much as possible. And that might be pressing incredibly aggressively particular players. It might be forcing the ball into particular areas. It might be sitting very, very low and compressing the space between the lines. You know, whatever it is that works for you, that's what you're supposed to do. And if that is executed effectively... It's not necessarily harder to coach attack, but I think it's more glaring when a th- when things in attack that you're used to seeing functioning well don't. And that means that not enough credit is given to good and intelligent defensive systems. Also because the narrative, the expectation is Liverpool and City are going to crush everyone, right? Mm. So I, I think it's very easy to go, oh, well, they didn't do it because they weren't on their game rather than a very, very good, as I say, world-class manager working with an excellent squad that is particularly suited to a certain style of play. I mean, Spurs can look incredibly effective on the counter-attack. They can be one of the best counter-attacking teams in the league, for sure, with the players that they have at their disposal. So, yeah, it's it's credit to them rather than Liverpool being necessarily that bad. I mean, criticism of Liverpool, I mean, remember, this is a Spurs team that beat Man City home and away this season. And also, you know, took a point off Liverpool at White Hart Lane. They are, like, I think most Spurs fans, myself included, are prone to, to fatalism ahead of these kind of games. But a more measured perspective is that Spurs are built, probably by accident, in a way that suits these kind of matches. Um, exactly, does. And that's been shown again and again. And actually, look, they, they, a couple of times they've, they've conceded bad goals, which have disguised this. But their record at Anfield, in terms of the performances they've given has tended to involve good moments undone by stupid sloppiness, which kind of transcend tactical kind of organisation. But they've done pretty well at times, even if the scorelines and um, feeling that comes after the game hasn't always reflected that. Well, I think we've talked an awful lot about Liverpool and Spurs now, and I'd like to move on to Brighton 4 nil Manchester United. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> What is going on there? Like yeah. so, United, like they're they're more or less guaranteed six, is the way I see it in the league, right? They, so and the players have just fallen apart. Well, and West right, Ham might catch them. I mean, um, they, they could do. They could, they shouldn't they shouldn't be able to lose sixth place. They've got one game left, I think, now at the time of recording this. What has Rangnick even done there? Like, this, is he doing the right thing? Is he unraveling it now? It's like the, like the jumper's starting to come apart, but he started pulling the threads to get rid of it so they can put on a different jump. I don't know what this analogy is. I don't know what they are. Well, I think, I think the problem is they don't know what they are either. And I think they, I mean, you know, we've talked <clears throat> about this a lot before, but 
you you have you have a club where post Ferguson, where obviously there was in some respects an emphasis on developing players through Carrington and bring them into the first team, although to a degree that's overplayed on the basis of one particular generation. But it was a thing and it was nice. They don't really have haven't had for a while a footballing identity. And by that, I mean a style of play that you would particularly associate with them. They're not Gagan pressing. They're not positional play. They're not press and possess. They are, let's try and hire some quite good people or in the instance of a couple, some very good people and see what happens is a bit their style, right? And then you bring in someone like Ranić, who is closely associated with a very specific and for what it's worth, very difficult style of play to coach. And you ask him to do that in a very short period of time with a squad that he's not assembled, having not actually coached himself for a significant period of time. So it's like dangling the illusion of identity in front of somebody and then whisking it away and them going, oh, we still don't know it's, what it's to do. It's basically that the power of management is often down to things like it's nothing to do with football, even. It's just management, like charisma, leadership. How can you own that dressing room? Is it too divided already? It's because of yeah. lots of old mismanagement. There's a quote in the, the notes we have, too much space, too much time. The problem is how to defend as a team. And that is by Ralph Ragnick. So Seb, why is he not, if he's saying these things, that like he must be trying to fix it in training. What's the issue here? Yeah, not to lean into a kind of a proper football manism, but I was watching the first goal again this morning and I feel like that told me everything I needed to to know about that team because if you see like there's a before um, Caicedo scores there's an initial move which kind of breaks down a little bit and the ball drops just in front of the Man United penalty box now if you go back and watch this look at the response of those Man United players to that happening they just stand mm-hmm. there and watch it happen like Bruno Fernandes just stand there not picking on him it's just kind of he was emblematic of an attitude and I don't know if this is... Did he then start throwing his arms around and blaming someone else? Because I see him do this all the time. Yeah, I, if he if he didn't do it, then I'm sorry. He's just done it so many times that I imagine he probably <laughs> did. But it's a wonderful goal. And I, I, I want to I want to be careful not to um, take anything away from Brighton because it, it, was, it was such a wonderful moment for Graham Potter. And, and um, a couple of my Brighton sporting friends were just so happy. And, and they deserved it. They were so good. They were so, so good. But they do the thing that they've been taught, this is the main United players, and then they don't respond with any kind of enthusiasm or application to kind of the ad hoc situations that present themselves in football because that's kind of, I don't know, beyond their responsibility somehow. It's pretty shameful. And we're doing it for ages as well, remember? Like even under Solskjaer, they were, the first half they were useless and the second half they come out and because they are really good players, they managed to mm. be able to fix something. <clears throat> well, they busked it for so long on the basis of individual talent, yeah. didn't they? But this sort of thing, too much space, too much time, the, the Ranjit quote, and, and uh, Karl Anker's written a superb piece on The Athletic, which all of you obviously are taking advantage of your free trial. If you're not already subscribers... Uh, You should read that. But it does come down an awful lot to effort. The reason that there is so much space between the lines is because the lines aren't compressing. The the reason that vertical compactness and horizontal compactness works is because a team is well-drilled to get into those positions and works hard to ensure that those positions are correct. And further to that, the reason that teams defend that way and then expand out is because as like Cruyff and many others have said, when you're defending, you want to make the playing area as as small as possible. And when you're attacking, you want to make it as big as possible. 
And yes, that requires tactical intelligence and technical ability and blah, blah, blah. But it also requires effort. If you're going to go from small to big, it requires effort, right? And that's, they don't do that. <laughs> it's hey, really annoying. I think there's a Whereas natural- if you can trust it with Brighton, sorry, I, I, and you're right, Seb. Like, like this, this will be yet another post-mortem on United and like the, the corpse is dead. There's no point in prodding it any further. Brighton were exceptional tactically, right? The use of Cucurella as a left-sided centre-back slash was good. left Cucurella. winger. Like, yeah. wow. You know, and this is a player who was kind of like a defensive hard nut type of player when he came over from La Liga. He was not this sort of marauding it's really highly left rated side. when he came over. He's one yeah, of the yeah. good scouting ones, isn't he? Absolutely. But, yeah. He's he's a very good player, but he wasn't like this is testament to Potter's phenomenal coaching and also the the scouting system run by Dan Ashworth. Yeah, definitely. Caicedo as well, another good example. But these are players who are not just coached to play interesting tactical patterns. This is a team that two or three games ago started with seven central midfielders and three defenders, right? And they're now playing this system. They did that kind of penduluming four at the back, five at the back thing that you were referring to Spurs doing before as well. Like there are full, that this team is full of tactical intelligence and complexity and interesting stuff. They also work really fucking hard. They run and they run and they run. And that's why it works because they know what they're supposed to be doing but they can also be bothered to try and do it repeatedly. I, th- I think it's so good that you brought up Cucurella because he's such a noticeable player on the pitch because of his hair. You see how hard he works to kind of create that dynamic with mm-hmm. most, more often than not, Trossard down the left-hand side. I think one, one of the things I've enjoyed most about Brighton is his willingness to get into certain positions so that something else can happen which doesn't involve him having the ball. I think that's a really selfless way for a football player to behave, but the exact thing that doesn't happen at Man United. Like if you look at Okay, so that on that first goal, like what you'd expect to happen in that situation, the ball breaks down in front of the box. You'd expect a defence to kind of close in on the player like a fist and to just starve the oxygen, take away the space, and it doesn't happen. And in direct comparison, you've got a player making the run purely to drag a defender slightly out of position by a yard or two so something can happen internally. Like It's a dramatic difference. And, and teams need these kinds of players. I know we're yeah. jumping ahead and we'll probably talk about it in a bit, but... I watched the Arsenal game on Sunday and Tommy Yasu, who was playing out of position at left back, consistently doing the same stuff, making weird like left half space runs with Xhaka pulling outside him or but but this was this was a player who was making those runs irrespective of whether they thought they would get the ball or not, because they knew that by doing so they would occupy opposition players, they would create yeah. space for somebody else. And if it didn't work, like four times out of five, Tomiyasu wouldn't get the ball. And he'd chug back to his starting position and he'd do the same thing again because that's what he knows his job is. Well, and he's putting the effort in. That's the thing. To, to try and link United and Brighton, I think you can see uh, Brighton clearly very well coached, which is why they perform so well. So, well. so it's very well coached, right? With players who are probably far more malleable than they are at Man United. So they're mm-hmm. at a certain level that they can take instruction because they know they are against it. Like they're they're weird, but it was shown. It's, it's, it's that's a level one thing. Yeah. But then that's the, how the coaches, how the coach comes in and can affect that. And it's not just Potter; you know, he's got a team of coaches doing it. Ragnick's got his own team, 
The same things we see in Man United have been there for a few years now. So they're slow to start. They uh, don't do the things they're supposed to. They expect that everyone else should be doing the stuff that they're not doing. It's like blaming someone else for some things you haven't done. That seems to always happen. And that's a really hard thing to get rid of. That's not just coaching on the training ground. That's getting rid of stuff all around the club. It's an atmosphere you can't get rid of. But like... A lot of things, a lot of noise was made of the, the boy Casado. He scored that the first goal, right? So a really nice hit the way he takes it. And people were saying he's going to be a good midfielder. And I, and I think you said, said as well, Seb, you think he'd be a good player in, in time, right? So Casado is at the age where he's not the top player he's going to be, but people can see he's probably going to be it. Same with Cucurella. He's becoming a player that could easily get snapped up by a top team now could easily take him but as part of a team that's developing and can go somewhere now Caicedo if he this is a Man United fan would, would love to play there because that's what he watched if he'd gone to Man United he would have just turned to dust like the other players because he wouldn't have been able to do it there's no room to develop you've got players like Fred McTominay who were not the finished article when they signed and are just crumbling and that sometimes they have good games sometimes they don't because uh, you know you have good games and you're surrounded by good players and you've got all these lads here but you see the difference in like if Graham Porter went to United now the exact same things would happen at United <laughs> that are happening now as they were before uh, yeah it's that's the thing the same like Kulisevsky at Spurs same thing right he's got room to develop and he'll become the player that Juventus know he can become mm. but he's going to be a Spurs player soon but he can only do it because he's gone there Casado wouldn't be able to do it at Man United who they bring in in the summer is incredibly difficult to work out because they sort of need the finished article already who is also at a level they want to step it up. I don't know if they exist. That's all I've got for you. And, and I've I, beaten the panel. No, I, you're absolutely right about all of it. And, and I also think that, yeah, obviously, if you're, if you're working in the technical scouting department, say at Man United, I suspect there is a degree of frustration. And I say this not knowing anything about this, but... Mm. I would imagine that there is no reason why the people who are working in that scouting team at Man United are not as clever and as good at their jobs as the people doing it at all the other departments. It's just that at somewhere like Brighton, because there is a holistic understanding of the process and there is buy-in from top to bottom, all the way up to the chairman slash owner of that club, into how that system should work, those people that are doing the scouting and the analytics and recommending players from the Ecuadorian Prima are being listened to. Whereas at Man United, you can do all of that work and you can flag all of the same people and then you can present them with the list and they're like, yeah, no, actually we want to sign Cristiano Ronaldo again on 300 grand a week because that'll say fuck you to Man City. It's like, okay, <laughs> what's the point? I should go and work somewhere else. Like if I, if I was starting to be interested in football for the first time now, and wasn't already a Southampton fan. Brighton is the kind of team that I would look at and go, that is exactly how stuff should be run. It would be really exciting to be a Brighton fan at the moment. Also, environment is what we're talking about. Because if you talk to a scout, like Alice is right, because the one frustration you always hear is scouts or people who work in data, they don't get listened to enough. The other problem is that, say someone like that comes into a club and they have a recommendation to make, and the recommendation comes with some follow through from someone up in, uh, further up in the club. But then that player comes into an environment which is not conducive to development, as JJ has been talking about. Then you, because this is the way the big clubs seem to work, have a failure on your CV. It's your fault. It's not that you don't have a pliable environment in which people aren't developed or players aren't given a proper chance. You know, instead of um, Kulisevsky coming into a Spurs, and he's much too high profile player to be in this conversation, I accept, we're just using him as an example. 
instead of him coming into Spurs, having a good couple of months, having a bad couple of games, but everyone's kind of, it's cool, don't worry about it, you're developing, you're growing. If instead of that, you have this kind of hysterical response to, well, you're not worth the money, and you, you shouldn't be allowed to make decisions, and no one should listen to you again, and shut up. That's how you, you create this kind of perpetual cycle of, I'm not even sure what the word is at May United. It's, it's like, um, it's funny. Nonsense. I, well, it is nonsense, but also like, I remember one of the stories from this season, one of the conversations has been Jaden Sancho's form and people like throwing around terms like Bundesliga attacks. Like, it's not a Bundesliga attack, it's a May United attacks. Like, Jaden Sancho is a brilliant, brilliant player. Has he played at his very best? Is he responsible in part for some of his failings this season? Absolutely. But is the main problem not the environment into which he's been put and the, the set of decisions which have led to him joining Manchester United in the first place? Yes, of course exactly. it is. Exactly. Yeah. It's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and, and yet it's easier to go, yeah, Farmers League, he's not good enough for my, my, my club who have just signed Varane, Sancho and Ronaldo and finished behind Spurs. I mean, come on. Well, it's gone so well, Emmanuel, this season that the captain is now on the bench and they're going to have their lowest ever points total in the Premier League. Well done, everyone there. Well done. You've really done that very well. And I think we should talk about someone else now yeah. after a break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we're back from the break. You didn't, uh, you didn't do it. Yes. That's Joe, does that? But, but do it, do it, because then it sets the tone. Yes. Right? Ah. Uh, JJ's his own man. Yeah. Also, let, let the yes JJ thing is mine. JJ. <laughs> hmm? Because the yes is from is from the office, so Michael Scott does it. It was yes. Uh, anyway, Leicester one to Everton. Alex didn't watch this. No. What do you think probably happened? I think Jordan Pickford made some great saves, uh-huh. and I think who was playing again? Leicester and Everton. <laughs> oh yeah, I think I think Leicester are probably quite bad, despite the fact they've got some good players, one of whom they're likely to lose in the summer in Yuri Tielemans. And I think Everton were gritty and organised, and once again we are praising the performances of Alex Iwobi. He was close. Okay. He was close. (laughs) But the thing is, this is, I mean, if you want to be a football writer... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, from what Don't I saw of this, me. I think Seb, I think Seb, will, you know this better, but this was Football Man Hat on again. We're doing this too regularly. I think this is a bad thing that I think I started. They wanted it more. Leicester are sort of already, the season's gone wrong. They're a bit disappointed. They want, they want to start again. Um, Everton are clinging to the bottom of the table. Has Frank Lampard done anything differently? Is there anything he's doing that's different apart from getting those boys revved up? They're a lot better off the ball than they were um, and there you have it the- Schalke 3 2 St. Pauli uh- <laughs> hey, so 
One thing on Leicester, because we haven't talked about Leicester properly for a while, but I think it's a little bit more complicated than just wait for the season to end and it will be fine next year, just because one of the things that happened in this game, as has happened in many, 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 many other games this season, is Leicester mm-hmm. conceded from a set piece. And They love um, that, don't they? That's They really, really thing. enjoy giving cheap goals away. And mm. one of the things that, that troubles me is that, yes, they've had a couple of injuries, but when you've got a problem that coaching can't fix, that's a bit of an issue beyond just, oh, we've got sort of Europa League, Conference League commitments. Well, okay, but um, West Ham have had injuries too. And West Ham have gone deep into European competition too with a very thin squad. And um, they've been pretty good for most of the year. Leicester are absolutely nowhere as a team. Um, And uh, coaching-wise, I don't know. You you can't pin everything on West Fafana not being there for most of the season. That's all I'm saying. Um, And I also think there's a kind of um, a conversation to be had about the goalkeeper because um, Kasper Schmeichel has been excellent for a really long time, but some of these mistakes are happening too often now. And I think it's um, you're entering one of those kind of difficult transitions that occurs when a kind of an iconic footballer at a club starts to sort of um, starts to have a sort of a tenuous place in the first team oh I know um, this all too well this is exactly the same thing that's happening at Aberdeen right now with Joe Lewis Ooh, tell me okay. Joe Lewis has been uh, probably the best goalkeeper in Scotland for he was certainly for a little while but now well the last couple of seasons have started making loads of uncharacteristic mistakes which resulted in Aberdeen's expected goals against not matching their goals against mm. uh, which tends to be the case where you can tell the goalkeeper's not good because the expected goals against is less than the goals they've let in. That's one little... Then you can look into it and work out last thing with Joe Lewis. Interesting that Casper Schmeichel's doing that because you think of him as being Mr. Reliable for those lads. It's also probably the end of a cycle at Leicester, I think. Yeah, there was also a game, Leicester game I watched recently where the commentator said, oh, you know, Schmeichel's been outstanding again this season. And I thought... "Um, he hasn't. I haven't watched much Leicester. And then I went to the... I think we can forgive the occasional lapse from commentators. No, no, no. But this this is not what I mean. Oh. It's, I'm not I'm not digging out a commentator for once. But I went and looked at the numbers and so on. And, and it's like... I mean, I know numbers don't tell the whole story. But, but I think it feeds into what Seb's saying. That we have got so used to assuming that Kasper Schmeichel is really, really good for such a long time that it creates a difficulty in recognising when he has stopped being as good. Ah, and that's when data comes in handy. And that might be that might be an issue to a degree in the coaching team as well, or it's like, oh, this is a minor fluctuation or, or whatever it is. Whereas, you know, this is a goalkeeper clearly who has started to perform at a lower level than he has consistently done for the previous seasons, and that is alarming. Well... It looks like Everton might actually escape this, but I think we should move on to... I want to talk about this Schalke thing because I don't know anything I don't know anything about it. So Schalke beat St. Pauli 3-2. And that means Schalke promoted back to the Bundesliga. Is that a good thing? Why should I care about this, Seb? Um, well, Schalke going back to the Bundesliga is a good thing because Schalke are one of the biggest clubs in Germany and the Bundesliga is underpowered this year. It's really great to see less fashionable clubs have their day in the sun, and that hopefully that continues. But you do need, for the sake of competition, you do need the big, powerful, traditional clubs there. And Schalke, one of those, um, Hartsfall, Hamburg, they, that's not two different clubs. Hamburg and Hartsfall are the same thing. They are another case. They might yet go up. But you, um, I think one of the problems, and it's, it's a 
minor point to make alongside Bayern Munich's dominance, but one of the reasons why it's happened is because there are quite a few teams in German football, traditional clubs, who have kind of fallen into cycles of dysfunction and dropped out of the Bundesliga. So in the Zweite Bundesliga this season, ridiculously, you have Hamburg, Schalke, Werder Bremen. Like these are all Bundesliga sides and they're all a level below. And in the Bundesliga, teams like uh, Armenia Bielefeld and Augsburg, great stories, some of them. Unfortunately, Armenia Bielefeld have just been relegated, but they're not going to compete with Bayern Munich. They're also not going to compete with that kind of second layer of club. Um, you know, you sort of, your, your, your British Dortmund, RB Leipzig, um, that that kind of... That I like you didn't see um, the, you didn't do the... Um, I hold the, it off on the plurals. You yeah. didn't make it plural. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I could feel myself approaching it and I was going to... I thought you were going to it and I would yeah, have lost no, no, respect. No, 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 I would have lost no, respect. No. But this was a great game. So um, I desperately wanted St. Pauli to go up. Uh, not going to pretend otherwise. My wife supports them. And they went two up. Unfortunately, um, ahead of this game, they were, uh, they'd had nine COVID absences. They lost Guido Bergstoller as their top scorer. Their first choice goalkeeper was out. They lost a centre-back. They were running on empty and they've had a wonderful season. It's just that they've probably got 12 or 13 first-team players who are who were good enough to get them promotion. And as soon as a couple of injuries happened and Kofi Kure went off to AFCON, they suffered a little bit. But they went two up. Igor Matanovic, who will be at Eintracht next season, Scored two. He's a good player. He's a name to know. But then back came Schalke. Simon Teroda, who's like a... He's like the Zweite Bundesliga's version of a hard gun. Like, he never stays in the same place for very long. He just... He was a hard gun. Last year. Hired. Hired. Hired, Hired gun. Um, makes more sense. Scores goals. In build this morning, there was someone saying that he should go to the 2022 World Cup. <laughs> Which, mm, don't know about that. But he scored twice. And then the third goal, look it up if you haven't seen it. Scored by a guy called Rodrigo Zalazar, who was on loan at St. Pauli last season of all places. He's a really, really, really good player. He's on loan from the Bundesliga, I forget where, but um, I imagine he'll be back in Schalke next season. Watch out for him. Good footballer and fun to watch. Does a lot of things really well. Um, but they are up. Oh, you said Running on Empty there, which yeah. is one of Jackson Brown's best songs. And Jackson Brown's very good. Stop Did, Jackson is Brown. that your way of saying that as soon as I said that you zoned out and started hearing that song instead? Just thinking about Jackson Brown. Did what? you know that Jackson, have you heard Jackson Brown's version of Take It Easy? Because he obviously wrote that, the Eagles hit. It's got a weird sort of, he does a halftime drum bit in the chorus, doesn't quite work for me. Can you, see, you sing a little bit of it please? No, but it's where you see how good the Eagles were. You just see how good the Eagles really were, even though they're essentially covering a song. They weren't covering it, you know, Brown wrote it so they could have it. My God, they were good. Love the Eagles. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Arsenal 2, 1 Leeds. <laughs> no Eagles here. No Eagles. No Eagles here, because the Eagles are Crystal Palace, aren't they? This they is- should play Eagles songs when they come out. <coughs> Crystal Palace, why don't they? Because I play Glad All Over. Or they should play, I don't know, but they should play the Birds of War song from It's Always Sunny as well. <laughs> I think I've started. No. If they could combine the Birds of War song and the Eagles. Ah. Um, all right. Uh, what's written in the notes here, the, the tactical d- deep analysis of Arsenal 2-1 Leeds is, Leeds in the first half are absolutely shit, and I agree <laughs> wholeheartedly with whoever wrote that sentence. Was that, that you, Alex? That was me. Yeah, yes. they were. What on earth is going on there? Like, I mean, it's it just falls from, I think, like, so that if anyone hasn't seen what happens, it's described, it's described as a horror moment from um, uh, Melier, the goalkeeper, and it sort of is. So he, he gets passed the ball back to him by Luke Ayling, um, he takes a touch. It's just slightly too loose. It's just not a perfect touch. And that alone is uh, enough for Nketia, who's positioned perfectly so well to accelerate onto it to score the goal. And then that just knocks confidence out of them. Mm. And then the second goal, I can't exactly remember how that happens, but it's very quickly after because obviously they're a bit, they're a bit um, all over the place. Really Good nice finish, finish, that second goal yeah, by Nketiah. Sort of really nice finish. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, it's in the middle of the yeah. goal. It's all right, yeah. I, I thought it leads in the first half for an embarrassment. The ailing tackle. Okay, so you make the emotional mistake, the mental mistake with the. He, he's the wound Mellier up there, clearly, and um, he's just trying reflection. to leave a little bit in. Yeah, but you're an experienced player, and you this know. 500. Like, you know if you tackle like that. <laughs> you, you cannot. Like, you also, the two things, like. Remember it. You'd have probably, if you were Leeds going to this this stretch of the season, you think, we're probably not going to get anything from Arsenal. Let's just be competitive, build a bit of confidence, maybe score a goal, come out of it, then go and play Chelsea in midweek in Ireland Road and have a bit of a go at them. And Luke Ayling, you steam into attack like that and you get yourself suspended for the rest of the season. When you already have a defensive short, uh, I mean, shortage as it is. That's one you thing. Just, I, you can't defend it. I think what we should actually look at in this game it. was um, how so how good Martin Odegaard was. And the thing is, so like, I've, I think we've all yeah, known about Odegaard great. for a long time. I remember watching him play before he went to Real Madrid, like when he's playing for Norway and was doing mad things for the international team. He was, doing, he was playing in the main league there as well. Like he started every game. He was a really big player and everyone knew he had a big talent. Went to Real Madrid, was playing in Castilla for most of the time. And then is that the C team? And then B team is slightly different, I think, isn't it? It doesn't matter. He was there trying to work his way up to the ranks. Didn't quite make it Real Madrid because it's too high a level. Probably wasn't quite there. He could 100% end... Well, it's a good place to develop, right? I mean, it's hard to break through. You have to have ambition. (laughs) You have to have ambition to go to Real Madrid as a youth player. Some of the things he's doing were quite Mesut Ozil-like, where he's clipping the ball over someone's foot Mm. and then dribbling it in. He seems to always know where the next pass is. He doesn't, he's not a fixed positional player. He just drops wherever is needed to add the extra man. So they always have an overload wherever he is. Yeah, I mean, he likes he likes the right half space a lot and drifts across into that position. I think there's data Mark Carey has. It's him and Saka link up an awful lot and it's sort of lopsided yeah, that way. Yeah. It, it does. And uh, also with um, Cedric pushing up on that side and it's kind of counterbalanced by Jacka pulling across into the left a little bit more. He just, I think the thing I like most about Erdegaard, and if, if Erdegaard adds a little bit more drive to his game, this is not a criticism of him, but that's, so if you look at Kevin De Bruyne, right, who's the best all-round midfielder in the league, then Erdegaard is able to do two of the things that De Bruyne is doing, not quite as well, but almost as well, 
And the thing he's not quite got yet is the carry the ball through three or four players, which De Bruyne did against Newcastle in probably the best performance of the weekend with mm. Erdegaard against... Sitting Real Madrid as well. Best. Yeah. But that link-up play, the ability to know whether it's just a simple pass backwards, a pass across, or a deft little touch, the ability to know where to be to link up with others, the ability to feed more dynamic players. Like, Erdegaard is just... He just makes the right decisions so much of the time and then has the technical ability to execute That's that. it. That's and what makes them elite. It's just really, really lovely It's the mental watch. part. It's the mentality, isn't it? I, I think he's a much better player than I thought he was going to be. I knew he was creative. I remember watching him at Sociedad and thinking, you are going to... I, I kind of resolving not to mm-hmm. write him off after that Real Madrid situation. But Arsenal has shown him to be a more balletic player than I thought he was and to have a little bit more... You know, kind of um, some players have a really original craft. Not just... They don't just cut you know, reverse passes through a defensive line. They don't just, you know, um, loot balls over the top of centre-backs. They actually have a kind of elegance with the way that mm-hmm. they create chances. He's got that. So I never really of, appreciate it. like an Ozil that, that doesn't season, hide from the ball. I mean, Ozil was a top-tier player. You can't forget he was really... I mean, I'd say Odegaard would maybe get to that level with his creative output at some point. He's a different kind of player. He's not the same. Mm-hmm. But he, he's always looking for it. And I agree with you, Seb. I think... I expect him to do much more with it when I first saw him because he seemed like one of these wonder kids who would come through with 18 goals and 15 assists. That's what I thought would happen. But he's not. He's this kind of lovely player, a bit like David Silva was, I suppose. Where this, he, this is the thing. David that's Silver a great comparison, David Silva. Yeah. David Silva could do those things, but he also, and I think David Silva was an incredibly intelligent player. He knew when it wasn't the right thing to try and do. Yes. And the best players can do it all of the time but also know when the other players on the team aren't in the right position absolutely and so they then recycle it they look back they do you a good example who doesn't do that i think was like paul pogba who sometimes just wants to do the things that only he can do when he doesn't need to do them in the middle of the pitch and he loses the ball or like neymar trying to do a, a rainbow flick or right. something i quite like There's, that but there, there, there should there should be a simplicity to this and i think yeah. one of the things i love when i watch de bruyne who is wonderful wonderful player to watch is that he will do he will he will play a simple pass in a weird way like i was again watching on on sunday and sometimes like the way he's kicking the ball sometimes is really odd like he'll hit it with like the top outside of his foot or he'll do it do you know on the stumble i've noticed this too and what i think of, it is what makes it work so hopefully i can get this across and it'll make sense he's breaking the time of what's happening. So, you know, in um, I'll compare it to video games because it's my easy go-to. You know, like there's set animations that you go to where you take this step so that the animation for the pass will begin at the end of this step because that's the way that it, yeah. it's been built, right? So the animation has to be that way. Or like when you make a tackle, that's it'll be exactly 1.1 seconds they're on there because that's the animation level. To Bruyne, I think, steps in like stretches a little bit, which is risky. People go in with hard tackles and get them really injured and it's like 20 years ago or something. But he steps in and just stretches just to beat like what everyone else expects him to. It's like he acts, he operates in his own little time zone. Mm. And the players that do that are like, like Messi does it all the time. Yeah. That's the kind of thing he does. Uh, I'm trying to think of any on top of my head. Right. Romario used to do it. So Romario, if you look at Romario's goals, probably, you know, 
during his time at Barcelona or you know um, some of his goals at Brazil for, for Brazil sorry he every now and again he'd drop in a little toe poke because he'd address a goalkeeper and at the point if you're a goalkeeper you probably set your stance and, and proportion your weight at the point at which mm. you expect the contact to come which you expect the, the, the shot to be taken and Romario did a really good job of he would poke the ball at just before a goalkeeper had a chance to set themselves and you look at so how many of his goals resulted in the distribution of weight being slightly wrong goalkeeper not being quite in his right position and it's the same thing obviously a different player with a different purpose but if you mess about with the expectation of when a ball is supposed to be released you create a little bit of havoc and I, I, I think it's a spot on point yeah, I'd say because players are players are reading and they're yeah. anticipating what the other person is doing. A lot of it is going to be that mental thing where you're tr- trying to read what the person is doing to react. Like I watched a thing recently with uh, Virgil Van Dijk talking about how he defends, and he doesn't look at the ball; he looks at their eyes. That's amazing. Said, I remember that, which is probably really intimidating because then you've got you're running straight at him, but he's looking at at you. It's like the Terminator, <laughs> and uh, not to talk about Terminators again. But then, yeah, that so that's one of the controversy we can do without going back on. You know. Yeah. Uh, we should round this up by talking about Man City 5 nil Newcastle. We already sort of have talking about KDB, who is just unbelievable. Like He's one of the best players we've had in the Premier League easily. Newcastle weren't bad in this, I didn't think. They were started all no. right. And then, do you know who's actually really good and probably gets a lot of praise and is also probably on the radar in the same network in, of corridors the that way. the aliens are? Yeah. Yes, exactly. You knew where I was going with that to round it up. See? It's a callback to earlier because this is Love, this nice. is just professional stuff. Yeah, I'm telling you what I'm doing now. This is how you like podcast, a really right? bad Stuart Lee. Yeah, um, <laughs> Joe Cancelo is so good. Yeah. Like he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, what's it? The stat you've got? Who wrote? The, who put the stat in? I did that. Oh, like I've oh. been very diligent. You this did weekend, so much work today. <laughs> yes. Really unusual for me. I did manage to watch like five episodes of The Mandalorian as well. So it's not been all. Oh, effort. which season? The n- newest one. Uh, oh, it's not a new one out yet, is it? Because it's got Boba Fett, is it? Yeah, so I, I watched the end of the first one and the first episode of the second one. I like The Mandalorian. It's very like good, it isn't too. it? Like Compare it The Mandalorian somehow in an analogy to Joe Cancelo. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, he he but, has to adhere to the religion of Pep Guardiola. He's very sure. much in tune exactly with that and yeah. will align himself solely with the positional play principles. He's a foundling. Of, of that, it's, it's Cruyff... Eism, really, yeah, and he's a part of that. I mean, he's wearing the Man City armor, yeah. So he's always got that on, but he has taken his mask off, and he's revealed that he's Joe Cancelo. Oh, okay, that's good. But we knew all along he's provided the tenth assist of the season in all competitions, his tenth, and mm. he is the fourth Manchester City player to reach this total, which is the only side in Europe who's done that. That's the stat. Who would Baby Yoda be? Jack Grealish. I knew you were going to say Jack Grealish. <laughs> Who I thought actually played all right. Yeah. A couple of pre-assists. He's very powerful, though, that Yoda, so it could be De Bruyne would be the Yoda sort of character. Do you, you watch the Mandalorian Sabres? It's not going to work. No, too. this has gone entirely over my head. I was going to say De that I'm too big. Really, really like, like the way that Shao Cancelo kicks footballs. The contact he makes is always so pure. We were talking about this in the pub during that the first leg of the semi-final, JJ. That's why he's so good at the bending it. In the contact is perfect every time. Yeah. Like, you, you, even even if you pay no attention to where the ball goes, just watch him kick. Like watch the way he strikes the ball and the kind of the contact he produces. It's why it's such a threat from distance as well, and why his kind of passing in that sort of forty yard from goal area is so good. Like his contact is brilliant. 
Um, I don't know how City you got teach that. A couple but. of players that can do that as yeah, well. It's for sure. It was interesting because I, I I agree with JJ. I thought Newcastle at the beginning of that game, I, and particularly that Chris Wood chance, which he really should have scored, scored from. That, yeah, just to put your head through it more. They weren't yeah. they weren't competitive because they're playing Manchester City at the Etihad, right? But they they were decent. They were showing up well. And it was like at the beginning of the second half, City came out and went, you've kind of taken the piss a little bit by thinking that you might be able to be okay. And they completed 101 passes without Newcastle compete with doing a single successful pass. And they had 99% possession for the first seven minutes of the second half. I'm so interested to see how they developed like, that team. What? <laughs> <laughs> My partner looked up at the TV and was like, that's not normal, is it? It's like mm, I've never seen that well, ever. Uh, what I was before. trying to say was that um, it would be I want to see how they develop it because the players that we keep reading about them being linked with and how they want to go forward. Newcastle. Oh, Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's who because they're not going for superstars just yet. There's a couple they've been linked with players like Darwin Nunez and stuff like that. But I think what you see, like Alan St. Maximin, really we talked about them so many times this season and last previous season, whatever. Really fun to watch. There's one example where he took on players, dribbled past a couple of them, just left them hanging nowhere near him, and then he just scuffs a shot five yards wide. Mm. Really fun to watch, but isn't... He's not the player, is he? Whereas when Trippier came on, almost immediately... He gives you actual output. There was like... He's such a good player, Trippier, yeah. There was a, a quick kind of one-two exchange, and then there was another bit where I think somebody... I can't remember which Newcastle player it was, but they... They robbed a City player of the ball, fed it out towards Trippier, who was herring up on the overlap on the right-hand side and delivered a really, really good cross that was superbly defended by Fernandinho. It, it would have found the Newcastle player that was not the one closest to the far post, but the one behind that. Like, that's a really good acquisition for Newcastle. It's, it's a player in Trippier who's... Yeah, kind of approaching the end of his career, you know, sort of early 30s. He's going to have a couple of years left at the top level. But so good, so experienced, so professional that he immediately elevates a team. It was so clear when he came on that that happened. Before he got injured, he was scoring free kicks as well. He's really... Yeah, yeah. so you, you need you need that kind of bracket. Like, uh, you know, you want to sprinkle in maybe a couple... And Newcastle have this thing, don't they, about entertaining players, about players that... And you'd want to keep some maximum in there, I'd say. But, sure. But just like Almiron, Almiron's another one. something around. Really exciting, so. but doesn't do anything. I'd be surprised if... When, when clubs find themselves in this position, I'm surprised they don't try and buy combinations more. Like if I was Newcastle, you, you'd think Nunez probably out of reach, but you could probably go to Leverkusen and sign Musa Diaby and Patrick Schick as a little combination and say, right, we'll take both of them because then that's like you have a little bit of a jump start on developing chemistry. I don't know if it works quite like that in reality. It just seems a sort of if you have the financials to support that sort of approach, which obviously they do, it's a good way of kind of... I mean, um, they could buy Real Madrid. <laughs> yeah. There's a, yeah. there, was, there was really good work done by a guy called Ben Darwin, who was a international rugby player for Australia. He was a prop, and then he got a neck injury and had to retire, I think, and started working in rugby analytics instead, and, and developed a thing where he would look at player combinations. So in rugby, you, you'd look at the halfbacks, the nine and ten, or you'd look at the back row, six, seven, eight... And he found that international teams that had a higher proportion of club-related pairings 
in particular areas tended to do better. And it's somebody actually asked it as a question in the comments of the most recent TIFO football show, which was released today. Like, why do we not see that happen more with international teams in football? But also, exactly like you say, Seb, if you've got the financial muscle to go out and buy partnerships, you know, if it's a midfield double pivot or if it's a winger and a striker, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, presuming that, that the team you're buying from also plays stylistically in a fairly similar way to the way you want to play. Otherwise, you're just picking up a unit and sticking it into something that doesn't work. But it's a really good idea. I mean, I, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a rugby league fan. Um, more than Union now and I always think of like that that combination that importing like players into representative teams so I think about like um, a Queensland Maroons team during the, from you know their kind of era of origin dominance they're able to play Cooper Cronk Cameron Smith and Billy Slater in the same team now in football like in football terms it's like there's three decisive points in your team and across sport it doesn't really matter because it's the same you have your reference point and what you're importing is actually the way those players behave in relation to one another and so if you're able to have that you can you have to add systems around them sure you have to have like you know defensive compensations and all all that kind of stuff but it just saves you about six months surely like in a representative team like uh, say rugby football whatever instead of having to do that kind of accelerated chemistry building that you have to do like by I don't know, climbing mountains or going on kind of marine training camps ahead of a World Cup. You just go, right, we're just going to have like, you know, these players all play for each other, play with each other at club level. And then we don't have to do that. Then we have a kind of a baseline level of performance that can be relied upon. I don't know. I I suppose, obviously, the caveat is you have to be able to afford Patrick Schick and Musa TRP, which is probably hundred million pounds. But um, at the same time, you could roll that out and, you know, buy players in twos or threes. Well, do you know what is affordable? Do you know it's affordable? Is it the athletic? Because that's the very athletic. affordable. It's really If you affordable. go to t And also, don't no, buy don't. that in, in bundles. Just buy it's one of those. Com. Like, just, just the yeah. athletic. Don't buy, like, the athletic and another, you know, subscription to something else. Just buy the athletic. Don't buy any of the competition. Nah. Only the athletic. Competition's um, I think that's a good way just to end it. Cause we've been talking for quite a while now. So, yes, with that, I think we've summed everything up. We've completed it. Well done, everyone. Uh, well done, Alex Stewart. Thanks, JJ. That means a lot. Well done, Seb Stafford Blower. Thank you, JJ Bull. Thank you to producer Craig. He's over in the corner with no camera on him. Can we do film this, by the way? So you can watch that on TIFO IRL, which you should definitely go to, and you can see the TIFO show that Alex mentioned before, mm. which we put an awful lot of effort into and would like more views. <laughs> so please go and watch that <laughs> on the channel. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks very much for watching. I think Joe's back next week, hopefully. Uh, we'll see. And then, yes, that's it. That's it. Have a lovely week, everyone. Have a great time. Toodaloo! Toodaloo!